pressure from the Jewish legalists to say, add law to your message. Add law. Don't just tell us that salvation is by grace alone. Add the law. There must be something that we have to do. Baptism, circumcision, keeping the law, something. Tell us that. Paul never wavered. He never wavered. In fact, that's what Galatians is about. Never wavered from the gospel. The Apostle Paul faced all sorts of pressures to change the message that Jesus had given him to preach to the world. Unlike a lot of people, Paul never wavered. He never gave in to arguments, accusations, beatings, imprisonment, or even a death sentence at the end of his ministry. And yet, he resisted all those pressures with a loving attitude that didn't retaliate. That's quite a role model. Hi, welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher. He's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve will continue the sermon we began in our last broadcast. Our text is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6. Last time, Pastor Steve talked about Paul's integrity in the face of opposition and hardship. That integrity is one of the godly qualities Paul exhibited in his life and ministry. Grab your Bible if you can, and let's start with that as we consider it and other characteristics that God wants us to have so that we do not hinder the gospel. Well, let's, uh, let's look at, at chapter 6, uh, verse 6, and let's, let's begin to examine these godly qualities in Paul's life. He writes in purity and knowledge and patience and kindness and the Holy Spirit and genuine love. These are six expressions that express the, the high quality of life that the Lord expects, not from just apostles, but from all of us. This is the godly character that we're to have, especially in the midst of our uh, of serving the Lord under adverse circumstances. Number one, he writes in purity. Paul says he endured in purity. What does he mean by this? This is a broad word in the Greek language, a broad word that refers to all kinds of purity, anything from sexual purity to financial integrity to, to even purity of motives. What Paul is telling us is this, despite my hardship, Despite my difficulties, there were no scandals in my life by the grace of God. That's what he's saying. He says, I endured life's tribulation without dishonoring the name of Christ. Paul didn't fall prey to any sin which would have tarnished the reputation of his master. That's what he's saying. It's by God's grace. Earlier in this letter, he actually wrote about having uh, some integrity. He told us in chapter 1 that he has a clear conscience before God. Let me read this to you. In chapter 1, he opens this book, this letter. He says in verse 12, For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience. That is to say, this is what my conscience tells me. I have a clear conscience. That in holiness... And godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. Paul said, when I, when I examine my conscience, my, I'm, not, I'm not condemned by it. Paul certainly isn't claiming to be perfect. He was a sinner. He said he was the chief of sinners. Not he was, but he said, I am the chief of sinners. He realized that. But his conscience was clear as far as how he behaved, especially with the Corinthians. He had a clear conscience. He behaved in a holy manner and godly sincerity. He said in verse 17, he spoke about integrity of keeping his word, promises. Remember, he had promised the Corinthians, I'll visit you again. And when he didn't show up in their timetable, they were wondering about it. And false teachers came along and said, yeah, this guy didn't keep his word. This guy lies. 
He, he, he says he'll be here, but he's not here. Now, if you can't trust him to keep a simple thing like his itinerary, how can you trust him on the message of salvation? The man's not trustworthy. And so Paul writes, and it's rather detailed in chapter 1, but I'll sum it up in verse 17. He said, therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, meaning to come to you. He said, or was I? Or what, what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh, so that with me there will be yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? He's saying, when I give my promise, am I speaking out of both sides of my mouth? When I say yes, do I really mean no? When I say no, do I really mean yes? He said, no, you can trust me. He goes on to tell them, you can trust me that when I make a promise, I will keep it. And then he explains why he hasn't visited them as as of uh, that date. But he had he had integrity in keeping his word. And we need to. That's very when you make a promise, you keep your your word. And then his teaching smacked of integrity in verse 17 of chapter two. He said, for we are not like many peddling the word of God. We're not like many who are salesmen who they have to appeal appeal to you and and we don't we're not con artists we don't uh, we don't try to make the message more palatable so it'll be attractive to you we're not like that he said but as from sincerity but as from god we speak in christ in the sight of god he said i'm just giving you what god gave me that's all that's that's the ministry he said i i have integrity in my message I haven't changed i haven't made it more palatable in chapter 4 verse 2 he speaks about morality purity in in his morals, as well as in finances. Verse 2, he said, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. And I take it that that would include sexual impurity. Paul said, we renounce that kind of stuff. The things that people do behind closed doors because they're they're too embarrassed to let others know about it. He said, also, and not walking in craftiness. I take it that he means here financial craftiness. Paul was not a deceiver. There were some at Corinth who said, yeah, he wants to take a collection up for the poor saints, he says, in Jerusalem. But I think Paul's taken a little bit out of the collection plate. Yeah, he doesn't want us to give him uh, any finance. He doesn't want our support. Where's he getting the money from? So Paul said he has integrity in that area. He has absolute integrity, morality, finances, keeping his word, teaching, all of that. Now, no one in our day needs to be... Um, convinced any more of the great need for ministers to be morally and ethically pure. You and I know that when a a Christian leader falls, it hurts all of us, not just his reputation, but it hurts the reputation of Christ. It disgraces the Lord Jesus Christ. It dishonors him. And all of us, when a Christian leader falls, tend to lose credibility in our gospel witness because we're all in this together. So one of the major issues that face Christian leaders is the matter of integrity. Integrity. In fact, years ago, Warren Wiersbe wrote a book called The Integrity Crisis. There were so many leaders who were falling and, and well-known leaders. We who preach the truth must live by the truth. Regardless of the consequences. And once you start thinking of consequences, you won't preach the truth. Once you start in that, you're, you're paralyzed. Preach the truth and just let things happen. But leaders are often under pressure to perform and to impress others so they'll have a following. And that's why they tend to compromise in the area of Bible teaching, because if they preach a hard message, they will likely offend people. And when people are offended, they don't give their financial support. When you don't get financial support, you don't have a job, you don't have a ministry. And so there's this vicious cycle 
often that, that Christian leaders have. They feel trapped to become the servants of people rather than the servants of God. And when you serve the interests of people before the Lord's interest, then then what you do, if you're a preacher, you lighten up on preaching. Uh, you, you don't preach sound doctrine anymore. You don't preach the hard truths of Scripture. You make things a little more entertaining, a little more palatable. You tickle the ears of people because that's what they like to hear. And you become popular. When you become popular, more money flows in. And when more money flows in, well, you've got it made. That's the trap. That's the trap. So listen. When you pray for our elders, when you pray for Jack and me, and you pray for our staff, and you pray for any ministry leader at Lakeside, and and when you pray for our missionaries who are an extension of our church, pray that we would live lives of purity. Pray that we would live lives both morally and financially pure, and in in, in all ways, and motives, and all that, regardless of how much pressure we might face, pray that we'll be men and women of principle, biblical principle, and not expediency, not whatever is profitable for the moment, but what the scriptures teach and pray that we'll be Christ's servants and not enslaved to to people's whims and opinions and human pressures. There's a great danger out there to do that. Now, next week, we're going to have missionaries here. And I want to just tell you something about missionaries that um, recently uh, I've been thinking about. You're going to be exposed to missionaries next week. And um some of the missionaries come from our church. Some are uh, just our church just supports them and many other churches support them. And I want to just tell you about some of the pressures that missionaries face so that you might know how to pray for them and encourage them. Oftentimes missionaries and, and I trust that our church and I don't think we do. I don't think we put that. In fact, I know we don't put this kind of pressure on them, but oftentimes missionaries feel pressure to, to produce, to, to produce results that um, their supporting churches want to know, well, how many did you lead to Christ? How much church growth have you had in your church? And that missionary, that poor poor missionary is is on the field just trying to be faithful, but he's got this uh, these churches back home wanting him to tell them figures. And so what often happens is he's tempted to inflate those figures in order to impress others that he or she is worthy of support. Because if we don't, if we don't see that uh, you're doing the work and they would evaluate work based on numbers, then we're going to pull our support and give it to somebody else and you'll have to come home. And so they, they get this pressure and they often inflate numbers or what happens, they preach a watered down gospel. They don't preach about repentance. They don't preach about commitment to Christ. They basically say, who wants to go to heaven? Jesus died for you. Raise your hand. And I'll lead in prayer. That often is what happens, something like that. And so they get lots of hands up and they write home and they say, many, many are saved under my ministry. And they do this in an attempt to justify their ministry. And so you, you need to be very sensitive. And we need to, as a church, be sensitive to our missionaries because that's that's what they face. That's the kind of stuff they face. But the Apostle Paul did not live like that. Paul didn't. He faced all kinds of pressures and criticisms in his service for Christ, but he did not uh, become enslaved to the whims of people. He remained a servant of Christ, characterized by purity and loyalty to the Lord. In fact, he said, and this is tremendous, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10 a verse that has meant so much to me. He said in verse 10, for I am, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men if I were still trying to please men? And I take it he means as a Pharisee, I was still trying to do that. I would not be a bondservant of Christ. 
If your goal is to please people, you might as well pack it up. You, you can't please the Lord. If your goal is to please the Lord, that's what you do. And you become his servant. So he never allowed human pressure to derail him from purity. Paul says, I endured impurity. Secondly, he also endured, as he tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, 6, in knowledge. Great truth. In knowledge. Meaning this, that throughout the, the length of his ministry, Paul never wavered from a clear understanding of the gospel and its saving message. He never went off into some funny and funky doctrine. He never overemphasized something at the expense of other truth. In fact, he said in 2 Corinthians 11.6, he said, if my speech is not impressive to you, understand that my knowledge is great. I, I know a lot. I may not impress you with my oratory powers, but in knowledge, he said, I, I have it because God's revealed the truth to me. Regardless of the external pressures Paul faced, he never altered his message. And you might think, Oh, what kind of external pressure? What kind? Well, his whole life was, as a Christian, was external pressure. Listen, he had pressure from the Jewish legalists to say, add law to your message. Add law. Don't just tell us that salvation is by grace alone. Add the law. There must be something that we have to do. Baptism, circumcision, keeping the law, something. Tell us that. Paul never wavered. He never wavered. In fact, that's what Galatians is about. Never wavered from the gospel. Justification by Faith alone. Then he also had pressure from Greeks who said, give some philosophy to it. Add, add Greek philosophy to your message. Add some stuff, some mystical stuff. And Paul never wavered on that. He never abandoned the knowledge of Christ during his entire ministry. He endured in that. In fact, at the end of his life, he said, I have kept what? The faith. That doesn't mean his own personal faith, though that's true. The faith means the New Testament truth. And an unwavering commitment to the message. I, I, I hope that that's true of you. You know, I've, I've prayed this for myself and I continue to pray it for me and other leaders that will end well. That's really my, my great desire for me to, to end well. I don't know when it's going to be, but whenever it is, I want to end well. I, I've seen men go off towards the uh, end of their lives into some strange doctrine or they overemphasize something and all the good that they did in the years past just Everyone forgets about that in terms of teaching, and they lose his credibility. Uh, that that's my personal prayer, and and it ought to be your prayer for for you as you get older. Uh, there ought to be still a, a zeal and an excitement and enthusiasm for the gospel more than ever. I I remember uh, being with John MacArthur a few years ago, and um, I pray for John that way. He's been preaching for many years. I pray that he'll have an enthusiasm for the word and his church. And I said, John. Uh, how is that in your life? Are you are you getting tired of what you do? And he said, I'm more excited now than ever. And that's tremendous. That's tremendous. Well, that's the way Paul was. That's the way Paul was. And you see, this is what gives credibility to a ministry, your ministry. That's what gives credibility. There is a price that you and I pay for enduring in our knowledge of Christ. There is a price we pay for not embracing as a church every gimmick and fad that comes down the pike. There is a price we pay for not embracing the whims of, of people and letting, and letting new fads dictate our biblical approach or our message. You know what that price is? You get criticized. We're criticized as a church for being out of touch with the times, being too traditional. We're, we're dinosaurs in a spiffy age. We're dinosaurs. You know, that's all right. Encourage your heart. 
Encourage your heart by, by what Paul's perspective was. Paul never let himself be influenced by, by passing fads. In fact, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This will encourage your heart because you know what? These fads come and they go. These fads come and, and, they, and they go. Just what they said about Spurgeon. Only the reason Spurgeon has endured is because he preached the gospel. He didn't change his message. He preached Christ. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul tells us about the pressure put upon him to alter his message. He said in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1, When I came to you, speaking when I came to you at Corinth, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. That is to say that I didn't embrace Greek philosophy. I didn't try to impress you with my knowledge of, of Greek mysticism and the mystery religions. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Isn't that great? He says in verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Even though Paul was fearful and he trembled, probably thinking, what were they going to do to me when I preach this message? He says, in spite of that, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. In essence, Paul said, I didn't come giving you my opinion. Who cares about my opinion? I want your faith to rest not on my opinions, but on the word of God. So I preach the word. I preach Christ and him crucified. I don't want to know about Greek philosophy. I'm not not here to preach Jewish law. I'm here to preach Christ. That's what we do. We endure in knowledge, and I hope that you do that. I hope that no matter uh, what's popular today in Christian circles, that you will focus on Christ. And in him are all the treasures of wisdom. He is our message. We preach Jesus as Lord and ourselves as servants for Christ's sake. So Paul endured in purity. He endured in knowledge. He tells us, number three, he endured in patience. This word, he's not talking about patience in the sense of uh Patience in general, like you're waiting for a letter. Well, I gotta be patient. I'm, I'm waiting to go somewhere. I have to be patient. No, this, this Greek word means actually long suffering. It's patience with people who wrong you. The thought is that of self-restraint, which causes us to, to refrain from hasty retaliations for wrongs done against us. It's a, it's a long suffering. It means somebody has criticized you. Somebody has hurt you and you don't strike back. You're patient with them. Patient when wronged. That's that's the thought here. And the Apostle Paul, certainly beyond any one of us sitting in this room today, endured all kinds of verbal abuse, physical attacks, and yet he did not retaliate. This this is a tremendous man. This is a tremendous man. I'm convinced that this is the greatest Christian who has ever lived. This is a man worthy, not of worship but of deep respect and to follow him as he followed Christ. Paul certainly defended himself for the sake of the gospel, but he didn't strike back in personal retaliation. In fact, he told Timothy in 2 Timothy at the end of chapter 2 that the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome. He must be patient when wronged, correcting those who who teach error and believe error. Let me tell you, one of the one of the surest ways to bring disgrace on the ministry is to verbally attack those who attack you. It's to strike back when they when when you're criticized. If you can't take criticism graciously, you're going to hurt the ministry. See, when you get that kind of reputation as a person who can't handle criticism, then you are not responding 
properly. And you are not representing your Lord properly because he was so patient with those who criticized him. Remember what Peter tells us? You remember that, don't you? First Peter, chapter two, verse 21, what Peter tells us about Jesus. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his footsteps, in his steps. Now, he doesn't mean the example of the cross. You and I can't redeem anybody by by dying, but he but he left us an example of how to handle suffering. Verse 22, here's the example. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That is to say that when you and I are criticized, and leadership just invites that, it just goes with the territory. When that happens, you and I need to respond graciously. We need to not strike back. We need to be like our Lord. Entrust yourself. Entrust yourself to Christ. He, under, he understands and he'll judge righteously. It's what Charles Spurgeon did. He, he, he didn't answer his critics. Just keep preaching the word. And I would suspect, and this might help you if you struggle in this area and you're angry when you hear criticisms about yourself and you want to hurt other people. I suspect that the reason Paul was so uh, patient with others is because he realized how patient the Lord was with him. And that, and that's the key. Whenever you think you've got a right to strike back at others, imagine and think about how you have insulted the Lord, how you've criticized the Lord, how you've blasphemed the Lord, how you've griped and complained, and yet he doesn't strike back at you. He responds by forgiving us and being compassionate and merciful. So whenever you think you've got a righteous cause to strike back, remember that God has been patient and continues to be patient with you. So Paul endured in purity and knowledge and patience. He also endured, he writes, in kindness. Kindness and patience tend to go together because while patience withholds retaliation, kindness just pours on goodness, acts of goodness. One is a negative, the other is a positive. Some people think, well, if I don't retaliate, I'll just avoid that person. I'll just, I'll just ignore them and I'll be okay because if I get around them, I don't know what I'll say. Paul said, no, no, no. No, he said, you need to be kind. You need to do acts of kindness. The thought here is usefulness. Do good things to people. Don't just avoid them. But if they wrong you, do good things to them. And I think it's significant to note that Paul was a kind man. You know, we think of Paul as a great theologian, as a zealous leader. But the man was kind. He told the Thessalonians that he treated them as a as a nursing mother would treat her children. Paul was kind. And yet he, he constantly suffered. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Because when we suffer, oftentimes we become self-absorbed, don't we? We're not thinking about anybody else, but what pain we're going through. And yet Paul's sufferings did not turn him inward so that he became self-absorbed, so that he became callous to the needs of others. Paul was thoughtful and kind. Now, in what way was he kind? And how can you and I be kind? What, what, is, what does the Lord mean by kind? How do we exhibit kindness? We'll consider the answer to that question on the next Verse by Verse. And we'll go on to look at the other two godly qualities Paul's example should encourage us to develop in our own lives. It was great to have you with us today for this study from 2 Corinthians 6 about hindrances to the gospel. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our study leader. He's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For more information about Lakeside, go online to lakesidechapel.com or 
Call the church office at 727-441-1714. That's lakesidechapel.com or 727-441-1714. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported program. And we thank the Lord for the generous listeners who help to finance these Bible studies of the air. For information on giving, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org, or call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. If you go to our website, there is not only information about online giving, but we also have an archive of hundreds of previous broadcasts. They are free to stream or download. In fact, I often share that web address with out-of-town friends so that they can benefit from Pastor Steve's clear, one-verse-at-a-time Bible teaching. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. For Pastor Steve and the others at Verse by Verse, thanks for listening, and I hope you can be here for the rest of this series of studies about hindrances to the gospel. Music